Warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! You ever feel cheated? Well, I have. Normally when you do a promo like this, you're supposed to sit there and suck the shit out of yourself to tell people how great your show is and what you talk about and everything like that. I don't like doing these fucking things, but I've been pushed to do it. And if you don't know who I am, my name's Vaughn, and I run the podcast Motion Picture Massacre, and glad to fucking meet you. Every week, or whenever the hell I have time to do a show, I review stuff that I like. Stuff that sits on my walls, maybe comes in through my Netflix account. Horror movies, cult movies, fucking shitty at B-movies, Italian action films, Japanese films, fucking anime, Ralph Bashke films, kid, you know, porno, I don't give a crap. Whatever you want to talk about. Whatever I feel like talking about, that's better. You know, if you want to check it out, it's motionpicturemasker.com. The Bone Bat Podcast, where you can listen to Steve and Gord. It's a kick-ass digital broadcast where we've got dick jokes galore. Bone Bat. Ladies and gentlemen, please put on your 3D glasses now. So this is Steve from Comic-Con 2009, and uh, I'm sitting here with Gord, of course. Word up. I've got my jerky. We're having jerky. We're uh, kicking it. What have we done so far? We played a little uh, G.I. Joe video game. That was kind of fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. We talked to Dan Paladin over at uh, the Behemoth. What else have we done? We looked at an incredible amount of cleavage today. We did. We did. It, uh, I think we got. We walked onto the floor at about 10 after 11. Uh, by uh, 1225, we had seen our first slave Leah. Mm-hmm. Uh, number of green girls, Star Trek style. Quite a few green girls. Uh Twelve forty-five. The first mention on the floor of Pace Pot Pete. <laughs> That's right. I, I just. I'm much more comfortable doing the podcast when I don't have to look at you. <laughs> this isn't even a podcast. I'm just recording to yeah, see like how it sounds. And, and this is like the podcast, and, and there you are, and I'm looking at you. But we could totally be having this conversation and have it not be on a mic. It would be the same conversation. Yeah, but then I'm why are you self-conscious? Awkward. I'm, I'm awkward. You're kind of fucking weird, dude. Yeah, I actually have to look out. At the Carquinas Bridge, or whatever that is. That, the, what is that bridge? At that bridge. To keep from looking at Steve while we do the podcast. I'm just not used to talking to you. Know, I, <laughs> I, I usually keep an 8.5 by 11 print of your face next to the mic. I keep so an 8.5 I... by 11 print of you, too, but it's of your ass. So. <laughs> Would it help if I turned around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could you please? Well, you know what? I'm actually looking at your face. It's very similar to the print I have. So... I can do this. Cool. Well, we got to bail. We're heading to see a man about some things. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to watch some animation. We're going to see if we can uh, wrangle an autograph out of John and Vasquez, maybe. Maybe. If he doesn't, like, stab us in the eyes with a spork first, which would be wacky. That was That's an inside joke for Johnny the Homicidal Maniac <laughs> fans here. All right. Uh, well, we're off to do some shit, so uh, we'll catch you later. Bye. Steve's got to get out of the sun. It's way too much sun for Steve. Let's go. Uh, 
melting. Ladies and gentlemen, please remove your 3D glasses now. Everybody, welcome to episode 29 of the Bombat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. And we are back from San Diego Comic Con. Now tell me, is this episode 29 or 29A? Because we're doing kind of a, a two part thing here. We with, are. With We've got Comic Con so thrust, if you will. So much damn coverage of San Diego Comic Con 2009. That it basically needs two episodes. So we're going to do episode 29, which will cover comic books, a little bit of animation and film. And then we're coming back hard in one week with episode 30, which will cover video games. You know, when you sound, when you say San Diego, you say it like you're from Wisconsin. Do San I? Diego. You <laughs> yeah, know, I don't know the what Michi- happens there. The Michigan years may have fucked me up. It may have. That's, what, that's it, what, probably what's going on. You're saying it, it like you're from possible. Ann Arbor because you kind of are. So how do you say it? San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. But what no, is that? I, a, I whale's, San Diego. a whale's vagina? Is that what that means? <laughs> no, that's... <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, we're back from Comic-Con, man. Did you have a good time? I had a good time. You? I did. I had a fantastic time. That was a you great know, you trip. You didn't start out having such a very good time, though. It you did, did a lot of... Yeah, you know. you know, let's let's get into that a little bit. Uh, but before we do, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about our musical guest tonight. It's uh, oh. This band is called Dusk's Embrace from Salem, Oregon. Uh, they are a band who uh, I stumbled Dude, across. Dude, wait, did they burn the witches there? No, that's, that's so metal. wrong Salem. Very metal, oh. but wrong Salem, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, Dusk's Embrace, uh, they uh, searched me out actually on off my MySpace page. I checked them out, and I kind of dig what they do. They're definitely in the vein of old-school uh, Swedish death metal, kind of the Gothenburg sound of In Flames, Dark Tranquility, Early Soil Work, uh, Scar Symmetry, uh, a lot of bands that I really, really like. And I've, I've been enjoying their CD. So uh, they have a, one CD out. It's called Paradigm Shift that uh, you should check out if you enjoy what you're hearing. And uh, we will uh, talk a little bit more about the band later and uh, play one of their songs uninterrupted. So uh, keep an ear out for that. But, the only um, thing on this podcast that's going to be uninterrupted. Exactly. See the way I just interrupted Steve? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like a gig. You do that too well. So what pisses me off is when... Yeah, well, we could just flash back to the beginning of Comic-Con when I first saw you. Let's do this. So What, what he, pissed you off, Steve? Here's what pissed me off. So I, I'm packing for the trip. I'm getting ready. And, and I've got big plans, big grandiose plans that I, we're going to do, like daily updates from the con that we will post to the website so it'll be like a mini bone bat each day just kind of covering what we're up to and a so bullet. a bullet, if you will yes indeed so what what i did was i like 
I set it up in advance. I, I got the tracks together with like the little uh, lead-in and the theme song and all that stuff for each day. And I'm ready to go. I rewrote the RSS feed so that they would all be just ready to go to, to, to post from the road. Had everything set up, everything packed, every cord I was going to need, the mic, the recorder, the laptop, everything. I'm ready to fucking go, man. I have never been this prepared for a trip in my life. So set the alarm. All of a sudden, I'm supposed to get up at like 4.30 to make it to the flight. Had a 6.30 flight out of Seattle to San Diego. I wake up. There's no alarm sound. Nothing. I sit up and I look at the clock and it's like 5.10. Uh, oh, shit. So did you lose the instructional media for your alarm clock? I, it turns out I set it. For, it was late when I finished that. When I set the clock, I set it for 4.30 p.m. instead of 4.30 oh. a.m. So Done that. Yeah. In there. Typical. So... So we rush around, get everything packed, throw in the car. We get down there with 20 minutes to spare before my flight. So I'm, I'm hitting the sidewalk with 20 minutes. Got to rush through security, hurry to the flight. So bam, bam, bam. Take my shoes off, take all my shit apart, my, take my laptop <laughs> Because you my practically bag. have to get naked and throw your spleen on the conveyor belt to get through security. Exactly. Anymore. I've got four tubs going. I've got everything out, separated. I, I get through security, pack my stuff up, run to the gate. Oh, you're fine, Mr. Holitz. Just hold on. We haven't started boarding yet. Oh, that's great. So I leisurely cruise over to the little gift shop and buy a bottle of water and walk back and finally board the plane, get up in the air. We're just starting to to make over the hump, the arc, to to drop into Sacramento, and I realize I don't have my laptop with me. Where's your laptop, Steve? I left it at security. (laughs) At least it was secure. It was. After several phone calls and consternation, I did get my laptop back first thing Monday morning. Uh, it was perfectly in perfect condition, no problems with it. But that's the reason why you didn't get awesome Bone Bat updates all of Comic-Con weekend. It was my sheer stupidity at the security gate which caused this. So, uh, listeners, if you want to blame anyone, blame me. No, no, blame George Bush. I'm still not over that. <laughs> yeah, well... Not nearly as dramatic, but also Comic-Con related. You know what pisses me off, Steve? What's up? People with the free hug sign. What is up with these people? <laughs> now, I didn't I really... swear to God. I, I, I've oh. seen these guys like at con- rock concerts, like when you'll be at the all-day festival, you'll see the occasional guy with like the free hug thing, but I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't either. I, I've never seen more than like maybe two of these guys in my life, and certainly not at the same place. But Comic Con, it was infested with them. Right. And there, there were the, like the the guys that were dressed up like a wrestler, and it says "free pile drivers to the face" on the back of his free heights thing. And which, if you think about it, doesn't make any sense because you can't do a pile driver to the face. But anyway, and then there's there's just the creepy little guys with the free hug sign, and the, what's even creepier though, in a way, because this is a, almost an all male phenomenon, is I saw two teenage girls. With free hug sign, and if that is an in- invitation to like get the the creepy creepiest perverts to <laughs> to come over, I don't know what is. Unless this is part of like to catch a predator or something. That uh, the whole thing is just bizarre and creepy, and I want nothing to do with it. And I want these people to stay out of my life. And then they start yelling like free hugs. It's not weird. Yes, dude, it's weird. It's and, weird. And it, but it, and it was absolutely ubiquitous. It was everywhere. 
Yeah. I mean, they you you me couldn't off. walk. You couldn't walk fifty feet without walking by somebody with the free hug sign. It, it was just. I, I had no idea it was this phenomenon. Maybe this is something to Wikipedia. I'm not sure. Yeah, somebody get back to us on this and explain yeah. why, why. Give us we, a call if you know something. Uh, 206-203-3115. And fill us in on why this has become a phenomenon. Because I've got no freaking clue. And you know what? I'm a hugger. I'm a huggy guy. Are you? I, I hug my friends. Yeah. I thought you were more of a like a hand jobber. <laughs> well, those are my good friends. <laughs> People I know their first 10 last names. Yeah, there you go. All right, so uh, back to Comic-Con. So we cruise into, we, we hit the show floor about 11 a.m. on Friday. Uh, what did we do first? Dropped acid. No, wait. <laughs> After that, that wasn't no, it. Saw, saw my buddy Gons at Viz Media. Which oh, was that's actually cool. what we did first. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, great to see him. And uh, and uh, what he's got going on, the Viz booth was pretty impressive. And they, they, got, they had a lot of traffic, man. I guess they're... Uh, Tote bags were a big hit because uh, it seemed to be like they were hard to get. Not for us. Not if you know people. Not for us. Now, the tote bag thing, now that's something else that kind of pisses me off. You've got 126,000 people in this building, right? And mm-hmm. the film studio booths, which kind of take up the a large portion of the hall towards the, uh, I guess it'd be the southern end of the hall were just mobbed constantly with people. It was like trying to walk through the floor at a rock concert, really. And, you know, yeah, you, you, you would have to, to get, like, their tote bag for Warner Brothers or whatever. They were advertising Harry Potter tote bags, but you would have had to stand in line for an hour to get a tote bag. Yeah, who wants that? That's not worth it. No, not me. I wouldn't even stand in line that long for a Harry Potter scrote bag. <laughs> Is that some kind of, like, a plant in the Harry Potter universe? <laughs> A bloody no, it's his actual sack. <laughs> so uh, cruise the floor, uh, bought bought some cool graphic novels and comic books and stuff like that. Went over, saw one of my favorite uh, comic author artists, Doug Tanapel. We did. also he does a crossover. I mean, he's a video game guy too. He did Earthworm Jim. That's right. He did he did the designs for Earthworm Jim, didn't he? Well, yeah, I was he involved in the Neverhood at all? I can't remember. I'm not sure, but I, I first found out about him when uh, his uh, graphic novel Creature Tech came out. Which, which is one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And uh, actually, we've got a little interview with Doug. So uh, here we go. Hi, this is Gordon. And this is Steve. And we're here with Doug Tenaper, the uh, cartoonist, author, and uh, chief cook and bottle washer of numerous comic books, including Earthboy Jacobus, his new one, Power Up, and my favorite of all time, Creature Tech. No kidding. Don't forget Black Cherry. Black Cherry. Excellent book. Uh, Your new book, Power Up, is about a guy. The theme to it really is, when you get right down to it, just do it. Do what you want to do. Right. You came out with that book right after... uh, the Scud book was finished. You collaborated on that, Rob Schraub. Yeah. His theme to that book when he came out, he told everyone, just do it. Was this coincidence, or did you guys come to the same epiphany at the same time? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, no, we didn't talk about that theme, but um, I think at the time I was coming out of a, a pretty weird dry period for me personally. Yeah. Where um, just questioning a lot of like, what am I going to do? What am I qualified to do? You know, if I choose a different career and things like that. And I have four kids, so I'm always thinking about my family and those responsibilities. And so when I start writing a story about just a, a, a regular guy, 
who gets that uh, magic video game console, what's my definition of a regular guy? And so I just start kind of writing what I know, what I'm going through, and kind of, it just comes from there. It was like I just needed to kind of kick myself in the pants and maybe find uh, find some inspiration or something. It's not that I didn't want to do the book, it was just, um, I, I could really relate to the hero in that way. Uh, yeah, it's very obviously autobiographical. It's, it's very, there's some very autobiographical the, uh, stuff in there. You've been in the video game world. Uh, in real life, what would be the most uh, useful power-up for you if, like in the book, there were power-ups in real life, like in video games? Well, I, I think free life would be pretty hel- helpful <laughs> if, you, uh, if, you, if, you got, if you got killed and you could come back. Um, a continue flag where you could go back to your last mistake. You know, oh, man, sometimes, like that one. right? that deadline met, right? Or, or before the big <laughs> argument with the wife, it's like, oh, I'll go back there. <laughs> Reset. I just, I just busted my finger in a quad accident. I can't oh. straighten it out. So, oh, dude, I, I, I could use a heel. That's hairy. Are you right-handed? Yeah. Oh, oh man. For those of you who aren't watching this, uh, his middle finger is a big swollen mess. Yeah. But he can really flip people off now, that's which is, true. there is no, a fringe I, benefit. I can't even do that artfully now. I got like, that's like the worst middle finger ever. You know, I did that when I was a kid. and It's I, probably they, they good. It's God, God's taking it. my middle finger away. Not going to use that, are you? So a question about creature tech. I think I was reading, it was in the intro, that the kind of that came from you wanting to draw a lot of different kind of cool monsters. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of my books are just kind of, I'm excising ideas out of me so I, they don't keep showing up in my other work. So, like, in Creature Tech, like, the mile-long space seal, uh, the seven-foot-tall praying mantis, um, the man with an alien attached to his body that was helpful instead of harmful, um, a lot of the faith issues in it were things I, I really wanted to, the cacophony between small town and um, versus the city, because I was living in L.A. at the time, and I was raised in Turlock. Um, so I just kind of put them all in a book and get them out of me. And then after that, you know, usually you don't start seeing mile-long space seal show up in my other work. So I kind of got that. Got it out of your system. Out of my system. Well, maybe that's why it, uh, it, it kind of resonated so much with me. Because, you know, I grew up in Wairiki, California. Uh, and uh, I was raised Catholic. So a lot of the issues that you, faith issues that you touch on, too. And also uh, in uh, Black Cherry as well. Was just it was kind of cool to see those questions raised. And you know, I, I actually resent that that comics and culture doesn't raise those issues more, given how common the experience is. Those books are loved no matter what the religion the people are. Like they're just going, wow, you know, you're a, you're approaching it, and you're not exactly walking on eggshells as you go through the material. You know, I get out a sledgehammer and I just start. You know, going right to where, where does the rubber hit the road when sure. the characters well, start talking? There comes a point where you start asking those questions, and why shouldn't those show up in your art? Right, and to me, editing those things out of work becomes a disservice to American culture. Because that's part of, the, part of what we talk about and we go through every day. It seems like a lie to me that you open up, you know, a Superman book, and he's raised in Kansas by farmers, and you'll never see a Bible in that book. I mean, none of the community, they act like people who wrote them from New York and L.A. instead of from people who actually live in Kansas. Absolutely, yeah. That never occurred to me, but you're absolutely right. Right, right. It's like, and to me, if we're all talking about it and the only people that aren't talking about it are the ones who um, ha- have something against it or trying to edit it out of the system, so then I'm, I'm going to go, well, I'm going to stick it back in. Look at, look at Dickens. I mean, look at the Christmas Carol. I mean, they're just, these are religious works. And it's like, big deal. That's used to be, we used to be big boy enough to be able to handle that, that, uh, that kind of talk. And now, you know, I can say the F word in the book, but I can't bring up certain issues. But 
you seem unlike almost anyone else out there in that you present these religious issues and these religious characters not as caricatures and you're not beating people over the right. head with it. You're putting it in there as real as gravity. It's there deal with it. Do you ever feel like you're alone in that? It seems like yeah. you're the only one that's not at one extreme or the other. Yeah, I, I see. I, I piss off people on both sides. <laughs> uh, and that's because they're they're not Christian books. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Christian author. Right. But um, but these are not apologetics for how uh, the you know uh, the real world works or anything like that. They're expressions. They're parables. They're stories. They're adventures. They're stimulating. So they have to do that job first. And then all, all I'm saying is I'm just drawing from um, a broader palette of culture to put in them. I mean, this is definitely what I have to say. I'm not going to... I can't jump out of my own skin and start writing books as if I was a witch or something. <laughs> right. It's like I can, I can only really write from my worldview, and I'm going to be honest with that. And what's neat is I have an audience that found me that also said, we love these. We're not even comic guys and we love these. Or why aren't other people talking about this? So I'm hoping I'm demonstrating even to other Christians like how we can approach um, culture and media, um, give honor to the subject matter without uh, collapsing uh, what a story is supposed to do. So it'd be different if I was doing a, a allegory or something like that, which I'm not doing. Um, then, I, then I would see uh, why someone would demand uh, certain um, um, subject matter be, say, more biblical or more you know, whatever they need to be. I just, um, I like the idea of, of exploring my own faith. And these are questions I ask of myself, too. Like, I'm, it's not like I'm an academic on the outside of my own faith and, and trying to push it on dumb people. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I respect where they're coming from, the questions they have, what they're angry about, where the cultural... Um, collision is, where that clash is, that's where I stick all my action. That's where I stick all my, my family's in turmoil and there's just an alien pops up in it. And I think it makes the conversation more interesting. Absolutely. Well, yeah. One last question, speaking of honesty and where you're coming from, we'll let you get back to work here. What pisses you off? Well, I'm not a pissy kind of guy. I, I spend a lot of time kind of rolling with stuff and trying to work it out and not, you know, whatever, but I think hysterical people piss me off. <laughs> Litigation, the frustration of, you know, feeling like you're in a, a world of Brazil where everything is so litigious and um, bureaucratic. I hate, like, doing taxes and running my business and paying my taxes and uh, the thought that all these people are going to sue me if, if, uh, if, if some character is, is close to something else or if I... You know, if they slip on my sidewalk at my house or something, those are the only things that really give me, uh, make me angry and make me feel ripped off. Excellent. Very cool. Well, thanks for speaking with us, Doug. I appreciate your time. My pleasure, guys. This is a, a great in interview, and I, and I love what you guys do. Thank Thanks you very much. Cool. Thanks. And we're back with uh, more Comic Con coverage. Uh, you know, wait, wait, wait. You know, you know what? what? Yes. I'm, I'm going to give our listenership a little bit of credit. Granted, they're, they're obviously not the brightest people in podcast land because they're listening to us. <laughs> but if you say, and we're back, they've already figured out we're back because, like, here we are. That's I'm just saying. I don't even know what to say to you sometimes. <laughs> All right, we're back. So some of the other things we did, uh, we attended a few panels. Yeah. Oh, man. The, maybe, maybe one of the best things, not maybe, 
One of the best things we did was see the uh, the quick draw panel. That was, that was cool. That was very cool. You get uh, these three comic artists up there. Now go. Okay, go on. No, like, it's uh, the it. the uh, event. I guess was uh, emceed by Mark Evanier, who's uh, well known in comic book circles. Go ahead. Well, see that that's the thing. I always go. He's the guy from. He's the guy that yeah. is. I don't even know any. I mean, I know Sergio. Um, God, I always screw up his name. Sergio Aragones. Aragones. Yeah. Yeah. Who, because uh, he's the guy in Mad Magazine, magazine who does all those from, little. Uh, grew, grew the one. Oh, he did grew. which is a badass comic. But I think of him as the guy that did all those little tiny cartoons in within the, the panels of a yeah. Mad Magazine. Yeah, in the margins. Yeah. That doesn't make him a marginal cartoonist. Not though. in the least. And then uh, Scott Shaw was also on the panel, and uh, wait, and he did Spy versus Spy, didn't he? Yeah. No, that's Prohias. Oh, okay. You're right. Well, you just lump together all Latin cartoonists. What kind of a racist bastard are you? <laughs> I admit it. They all draw the same to me. What a jerk off. So, and then the uh, the third gentleman was Floyd Norman, who uh, is a was a formerly a Disney artist. So uh, it, it was pretty cool. Kind of the the format of it was it, sort of like they're playing games with the audience. They they would take it where they would turn uh, somebody from the audience who would ha- it would be their job to guess. Uh, a concept that the artists were drawing and so they would turn his back to the three screens uh, at the front of the stage and the art they would put up three words like humidity or blank or some other similar concept that's kind of you know not real easy to to convey through art and then the three artists would draw something more often than not it would be hilarious and then you know trying to convey and the person would have to try to guess what the uh, concept was that they were getting across and, and then they did other stuff like, you know, draw uh, a, a job for the Hulk or, you know, things like that. What, what else yeah. did they do? Well, and they did, a, they did like a crossover where one guy would draw the bottom of a character covered up and the next guy would draw the top of the character. And then they'd do the unveil and see the wacky little creation they made. But you know what was so cool about it was how quick these guys are. Not just how quickly they drew, but like especially Sergio, they had no more finished saying what to do when he was already penning a funny joke. I mean, something funny. Yeah, absolutely. It's one thing to be quick with words. It's another thing to be quick with a whole joke concept that you can, like, draw and be done with in 15 seconds. He, he that guy just blew my mind. He was so funny and so good. There was, and it's, it's funny to watch, like, the difference. The way he would draw is he already had the whole picture in his head, like, boom, you could tell. And he'd almost just start doing an outline. It's the back of the head, down to the back of the body, and then the leg wraps around here. And then you look at the Disney guy doing it, and he's, like, drew, drawing all the geometric shapes that make up a body and then filling out the shapes to make the arm and the leg and the head. You know, he was he was not moving at the same speed mentally as, as Sergio. Sergio was just, like, just so much brighter and quicker and funnier than anyone else on that panel. I, I was really impressed by that guy. Very much. You know, and I, I've always loved his work anyway. But, you know, this just, this, watching this panel just made me love him more. And yeah. I, although I will say, in all fairness to Floyd Norman, uh, Aragonis does this panel every year and has for years. Whereas Floyd Norman, this was his first time ever doing it. So... I think you have to give him a little bit of. Uh, oh slack yeah, for yeah. That. He still did way I mean, better yeah. than me. I mean, I turn out one cartoon a week. And <laughs> <laughs> come on. So speaking of drawing, we did a couple other uh, panels. We did a uh, went to a drawing Star Wars for kids panel with uh, 
which was put on uh, one of the artists was Katie Cook, who is a friend of the Drunken Zombie podcast. Uh, and uh, what what was the other? The, the how to draw monsters? How to draw monsters is bitter bitter disappointment. That yeah, that, uh, it, that it was more was like a fun. study in anatomy and how anatomy applies to to monsters. Like it, you know, you look at a forearm and it's made out of these certain you know, geometric shapes, a pyramid and a plane and. And, you know, you apply that to a monster, you just elongate it or, or shorten it or whatever. And, dude, it, it was it was not it was not what I was expecting. I'm sure it was a high-quality exercise, but I was picturing more something fun and kid-like that I could take and use next time I'm teaching kids how to draw stuff. So, Well, the, the Star Wars thing worked out okay because... Uh, yeah, Star Wars was more like what I thought the Drawing Monsters thing was I, I brought that sheet home and, and showed it to the kids, and already I kind of showed them, you know, how to draw Yoda. And they, they were kind of the cute little kind of Japanese amigurumi type of Star Wars characters, which are very simple and cute. And, and we were able to knock out, like, the Bantha and Darth Vader and Boba Fett uh, with the kids since I, just since I've been home. So that, that turned out to really be worth the time, I thought. Yeah, that was... That was all right. Uh, a couple other panels, and then I, I, I attended a couple of more kind of comic book centric uh, panels. I went to uh, one one that I missed. I was doing an uh, interview, and uh, I missed out on the Blackest Night panel. Now, it's kind of hard to believe how Green Lantern took over this convention. Everywhere you yeah. looked, there were Green Lantern Corps shirts. Uh, the graphic novels were sold out at most of the stands. They were giving away action figures and ch- different Green Lantern tchotchkes throughout. Even the official sh- uh, shirt of the show, which I picked up, was a Green Lantern shirt. So all great stuff that was tying in with Blackest Night. But you, you would have no idea that, that Green Lantern is so huge right now. Yeah, what, what was up? Did Green, Green Lantern just get a new agent or something? I mean, holy crap, that was everywhere. I, I think it, it, it has to do with uh, Blackest Night, which is like the latest big DC event that you know spans lots of comics and is, is going on all summer. Uh, and it's kind of a, it's a story that, that kind of is the DC's take on the zombie thing in the way that Marvel Zombies did it. So they're bringing back all of these dead DC characters as Black Lanterns, which, you know, that's their their way to get them zombies out there. And so it seems to be like the hottest thing. And I wanted to attend that panel and was unable to. But the cool thing is that on uh, DC Comics' website, they have uh, MP3 podcasts of all of the uh, panels that they had there. So I was able today to go back and check it out. So if listeners, if you're interested in checking out any of these panels, uh, DC has those available. So I thought that was pretty badass. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and then uh, the one comic, one of the comic uh, panels I did attend was called Kirk Mania, which was... Uh, a uh, you know Robert Kirkman, who's creator of one of my favorite comics running right now, Walking Dead. Uh, he he did a, an hour long panel, kind of talking about Invincible, Walking Dead. He does some work on Avengers, uh, and, and just kind of the different uh, astounding Wolfman, different uh, titles that he has going right now. So uh, I did record some of this, and I'd like to play a few minutes of specifically the Walking Dead uh, information. So here you go. Uh, here's a couple of minutes with Robert Kirkman. And then, uh, we really got... So, uh, anyway, we put out this walking in the venue in, uh, some month in the past. I don't know. And, uh, it sold out immediately, and we weren't expecting the reception to be so high because, uh, 
Well, I mean, let's be honest, it's like the seventh time I've sold this book, so um, <laughs> it seems like, you know, I'm gonna run out of But anyway, it's very popular, which I'm very excited about, so we're gonna be doing a reprinting of this in October, and uh, anyone who didn't get this book, it's a, it's a massive, cool volume that, that you can kill somebody with, and so uh, <laughs> I highly recommend that if you're planning on murdering anyone, you do it with this book. So <laughs> But yeah, so uh, so that's coming out, and I uh, wanted to let you guys know. And then uh, right now we have the Fear the Hunter storyline going on, where uh, you know you guys got uh, you know you know what's going on, there's people, whatever, and quick uh, uh, quick dangerous ordeal. And I'm putting the books out so fast right now, the on time and nine thing, that I really don't know which issue is out right now, so that's why I'm being vague because uh, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to sack. I'm 63. I don't pay attention to the numbers. But uh, anyway, it could be 74 for all I know. But uh, but anyway, cool stuff going on in this, and uh, it's going to be leading to something uh, pretty huge that I'm very excited about that uh, should eventually, uh, in a minute, get to the slide. There we go. Uh, last year we talked about, uh, like we, we uh, released this image, and we talked about how uh, The Walking Dead is going to be uh, focusing on their journey to Washington, D.C. to try and find civilization and try and, uh, you know, establish a safe haven and just basically see what's going on because they figure that in Washington, D.C. there's got to be some kind of civilization left because it's the capital and there's a lot of uh, resources there. And so uh, coming up in, uh, I think, early 2010, we're actually going to arrive in Washington and what they find there is uh, uh, basically hope. You know, they find, uh, they find a wall and all uh, civilized area uh, near Washington D.C. where uh, people have dinner parties and uh, play dates and they eat ice cream cones and uh, it's kind of it's kind of it's going to be a different uh, a different time for Walking Dead. It's, it's, it's the next evolution of the series. And I'm very excited about this. Um, it's still going to be exciting. There's still going to be zombies going crazy and doing stuff, but. Uh, It'll be a very different time for the book, so I'm very excited about this. It should be starting up in early 2010. So. Now, I'm going to save the haunt portion of the slideshow for when Todd shows up, and I'll go ahead and open the floor up to questions. I was just uh, two quick questions. So, uh, are you planning on staying on time in 2010? No, no, it's late again in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what I'm going to do in 2011. <laughs> okay. uh, well, I'm going to do my best to say it, uh, but I probably won't be as committed after this year. Okay. I shouldn't be so honest. <laughs> no, the plan, actually, honestly, honestly, the plan is to, uh, flatter me. But uh, the uh, the plan is to keep it going monthly forever, and so uh, you know it's 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 very difficult to keep it going monthly. There may be skip months here and there, but uh, I don't plan on getting back to a place where we don't really know when the next Rocky Dead's coming out. I was saying the but that is that because the kids here. Um, uh, so you know we will be making our ship dates, but uh, there might be one month in 2010 where we solicit an issue so that we can have a vacation or something. So that I can have a vacation or something. <laughs> I don't really care about the hours. It's really weird. They get up here and it's like, how are you? What's that walking dead? It's like a post-apocalyptic soap opera zombie. It's going to be a really awesome like, showtime or HBO soon. 
theory. Um, this is, is there any interest expressed by anybody in trying to turn into some sort of series or even a film? It seems really tailored. Yeah, there, there's always been talk, and, and I mean, I've, we've gotten really close a couple of times, and I don't like to talk about that stuff publicly, because as a fan myself, I hate it when they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to see this is going to be a movie, and then 10 years later, you're like, what happened with that? What's going on? <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you know, it's happened a few times, there's always inquiries, and, you know, it's a fairly popular comic, and so there's always people asking about it, and I've talked to a lot of really famous people about doing it, and that's a really cool aspect of my job, but uh, there's not really anything I can talk about publicly yet. Uh, there's things going on right now. We may have an announcement soon. You know, who knows? May not. It's a, a Hollywood is a very fickle beast, and so it takes time to put these things together. But uh, my son, I would prefer I would prefer a television show, but I am a bit of a cover uh, your ears, kids. Poor. So, uh, uh, you know, if Michael Bay wants to do a movie, I'm there. <laughs> Zombies. <laughs> Seeing how Rick's gotten crazier from the first issue and how they're reaching some sort of civilization in Washington, is he going to trust that serenity that he's finding in Washington or is he just going to keep being crazy and probably get so The whole point of this is to see if the characters are even able to exist in a civilization at this point. Because they've been so changed over the course of the series that you know, this is what they wanted. You know, they wanted security and they wanted to go back to the way they used to live, but they may be completely incapable of that after everything that they've lived through. So that's going to be, you know, the main thing we look going forward. Unless you guys don't like it, you know, have aliens show up or something. <laughs> we are doing that in '75, though. I was just wondering if you could keep a character alive for more than three issues. <laughs> Exaggerating, I've had characters seven, last seven like five issues. Seven five five five. Five. <laughs> that broke my heart. Really Why was the book for like 60 I started years. cutting after that. Oh, yeah. Battle book reading kid in the house. Make a good kid. Be nervous. Back to, into, not back, into Washington. Spin it out, kid! <laughs> into Washington? Is it just going to be like another, like, state jail? Or is it going to be like the rest of the, it, like, issues? We'll be there for a while. The rest of the issues hopefully would be a really long time, because I plan on doing a book till I die, so at least another five years. But, uh, <laughs> not very exactly how many issues it'll last. Uh, it, it, I plan for it to go for a bit longer. So uh, it, it's gonna, it, it'll probably be as important uh, space in the series as when they lived in the prison. I don't know if they'll live there for 40 issues or however long it ended up being in the prison, but uh, they'll definitely be there for a long time. So. Okay, uh, after hearing the bomb about you living in the it's gonna be pretty Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, no, that's okay. Sure. Now, after announcing my Walking Dead story, it's really not interesting to have people happy and safe. So, uh, you know, 
try not to do that very much. The Walking Dead storyline is going to be, uh, you guys are going to flip out. It's crazy. Say a No, no, I'm not going to give him a rip at all. It's just, it's all downhill. Until he dies in the last issue, and it's going to be like eight pages in getting ripped apart. I, I hate myself, and so when I create these characters, I hate them too. Is there a in the Grimes then for the whole series or for the whole Uh, well, I Guess what? Yeah, yeah, we're back. So, uh, Steve, you know, you talked about these panels, but one thing I couldn't help but notice is you haven't brought up the panel that you, quote, accidentally drug me to. Steve Steve and I rush over to the Venture Brothers panel. We've got to see this. Got to go. Got to attend. Steve knows exactly where it is. I'm following him all the way across the parking lot, 
into the building around the corner, <laughs> up into this this obscure room that, that I haven't been into before, rushes me in, sits me down expectantly, and after a while I realize that what they're talking about is the importance of transgender people in comics. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell, man? Yeah, it turned out we were in the room that was right next to the room with the Venture Brothers panel. You got something you need to share with our listeners here? Oh, shit. No, but yeah, that was that was kind of... Not that we would have made it to the Venture Brothers panel anyway. Yeah. We, we made a decision that would uh, negatively affect our ability to attend that panel. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, we definitely did not enter the correct panel, uh, and uh, so apparently they are uh, important. Yeah, very important, evidently. So, to all our transgender listeners out there, hey, we're with you. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, yeah, we unfortunately we missed the Venture Brothers uh, panel, which was uh, too bad. But the important thing is, there's going to be a season four. I looked it up. Venture Brothers season four. What else matters? I think it starts in November. I think so too. So, pretty cool. So let's take a second to talk a little bit more about Dust's Embrace, our musical act of the evening. Uh, the band was formed in 2006 by uh, lead guitarist and vocalist Josh Brewer and uh, Pat Carter who, uh, from the Salem area. So they spent the next year and a half or so looking for the right members and writing material and getting their first uh, full-length album together. In the summer of 2008, Josh Mendoza joined the band on bass and uh, Brandon Calicott on drums, and that was the uh, lineup that they used to uh, record the first album, Paradigm Shift. Uh, unfortunately, though, uh, this recent June, uh, Brandon was let go from the band and Pat decided to leave and pursue other interests, so uh, they uh, did a search for new uh, members and uh, ended up with Jake White on guitar and Dustin Jacques on drums. And so they've got a new solid lineup. Uh, they're currently doing a little bit of local touring and in the process of writing their second album. Uh, I think the band feels like that they've stepped up their level of uh, musicianship with uh, the new uh, band members. And so uh, there's some exciting stuff to come from this band. Uh, like I said, I kind of dig their sound. I'm already in the bag for the Swedish death metal thing, that, that very melodic sort of a tone while being both heavy and then catchy. Uh, I'm a big fan of that, and so I kind of dig what uh, Dusk's Embrace does. Uh, so uh, we're going to take a second here and uh, listen to uh, a track off of Paradigm Shift. This is called Reality's Thorn. Fuck! 
This is Doug Tenaple, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. So, thank you to Dusk's Embrace. Once again, off the album Paradigm Shift. You can find it on iTunes and CDBaby.com. Thanks again to Dusk's Embrace for letting us use their music this week. So, back to comics, dude. Uh, why don't we take a quick second and just talk a little bit about uh, our history with comics. So, when did, when did you remember, like, first reading comics or collecting comics? Man, I did not get into comics until college. I did not get into comics until someone showed me Frank Miller's Batman The Dark Knight. And that's that's when I first realized, wow, these things are pretty cool. I looked at a few, you know, friends comic books as a kid, and I always read the comic section of the paper growing up. But comic books, no, not until I was a grown up. Really? Not until I was old enough to know better. Yeah, I, I I remember going to the dime store, you know, mom taking us there and instead of, you know, foregoing, because when you're a kid, candy, that's, you know, that's what yeah. you're about. You know, 98% of your time is spent worrying about candy, but I would often forego the candy. <laughs> candy is the, is the pussy of the childhood. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I would actually forego candy for a comic book now and again. And so I, I would dig stuff like... Uh, Captain America and the Falcon, uh, Spider-Man, of course, uh, the Avengers with the Vision. The Vision, I always thought, was badass. I don't know if it was the garish green and yellow and red color scheme or what. but uh, So, you know, I, I kind of was really, you know, biggest into Marvel, I think. I had the odd Superman and Batman comic book, but I, for some reason at the time, I always found Marvel stuff more appealing. And so I had, you know, a, a decent little stack of comic books that at some point got taken away from me because my father felt I lived in a fantasy world too much. Oh, really? Yeah, so I, I actually lost my comic books and uh, never saw them again. I did buy a few of those issues years later, but uh, I don't know. I guess I had my head in the clouds too much or something for uh, his oh, life at one point. Yeah. So. Wow. So from there, you just went to reading books. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, so I just lived in a different kind of fantasy world. After that, it was Tolkien. <laughs> so anyway, no, really, not funny at all. <laughs> no. What the fuck was that? <laughs> I, I, that was supposed to be a joke. I've man. rarely been left hanging like that on this I, I didn't realize you were trying to make a joke. <laughs> that's, that's how bad your joke was. There you go. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, again, then after that, there was a hiatus, like you say, and uh, it wasn't until college where I kind of started getting back into it. 
again, Dark Knight had a lot to do with that. Watchmen had a lot to do with that. Batman Year One had a lot to do with that. And a lot of those things that were kind of happening in the late 80s that uh, got me back into comic books. So, uh, and that, that was when I, I started digging on, you know, a lot of like the stuff from first comics. Um, then uh, I was going to University of Oregon at the time. And then uh, after college, then I moved down to L.A. and kind of got serious about it. In 1989, I went to my first Comic-Con. My last Comic-Con before this one, 20 years wow. ago. And the, the attendance at that Comic-Con was 11,000. Compared you to lose the, your laptop there too. No, I didn't. I didn't. Did, were there laptops in 1989? I don't. Know. I don't even think there were desktops. But uh, you know, compare that 11,000 to the 126,000 that attended this Comic Con. That's <laughs> a difference of more than a thousand. Yeah, the uh, the uh, variance in scale there is pretty staggering. But uh, that was a cool Comic Con at the time too. I got to meet Jack King Kirby, got his autograph. How fucking cool is that? That's cool. Exactly. You know what you didn't mention? Maybe you didn't get into it, but uh, it was like a one-two punch that got me into comics in college. Was Batman: The Dark Knight, and then I read Elektra Assassin, which, for those of you who haven't read the book and only saw the movie, ugh, nothing at all alike. Don't don't go there. <laughs> but Elektra Assassin, another just absolutely freaking phenomenal book. I knew people that weren't... I knew girls that loved that book that weren't into comics in the least. That, that may be the only thing that they read in, yeah. in Comic Land. It, that, that's, that's one of those ones like Creature Tech that just all kinds of people are into it. People that never read another graphic novel like that one. Absolutely. Yeah, that was, that's another great one. I just said girls. Do you hear the way I said that? Very I, few female comic fans in my life. Like, dude, I, I try to tell my wife about Comic-Con. I've tried several different stories, which I thought she would be into, find interesting, amusing, whatever. She gives me the same look she gives me when I try to talk to her about podcasting. <laughs> yeah, Julie, is, she's, she has read the, the occasional thing. Uh, Bone, she's read, and uh, she's read a little bit of Walking Dead. For, but for the most part, not a huge fan of graphic novels either. I wonder Which, why that is. I, I don't know. I don't know what is less appealing about, you know, the the comic book to some folks as a medium. Because uh, it's certainly not taken ser- as seriously by everyone. It is taken more seriously these days. I mean, you'll see reviews of graphic novels in, like, Time magazine. So certainly it's accepted, and there, there are graphic novel sections in most major bookstores. Oh, well, and the fact that major movie studios, book companies, what have you, are throwing, you know untold zillions of dollars at things like Comic-Con should tell you how serious they're taking this. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you know, I, I don't know that everybody takes the, it as a medium, as a serious medium, as a as as serious a way to tell a story as a film or a novel. Now, do you think it may be a generational thing? Like, because in the old days, comics tended to be superheroes and horror and crime and, you know, stuff blowing up and most of the women in them were just like essentially life support systems for a giant pair of tits whereas now there's all kinds of different stories that are told with all kinds of different characters male female whatever do you think like the the kids these days it's it's going to be a much more like 50 50 distribution of male and female comic readers or do you think it's going to stay with that that male dominated you know, this is stuff for boys primarily. No, I, I think that, that it will be more because you grow up with it. I mean, both of my kids now, 
my daughter will read the Baby Mouse series, for instance, or Diary of a Wimpy Kid. There are yeah. there are stories for kids that are you know very kind of interesting, popular stories that are told in that medium. So I don't think there's going to be any sort of a you know, stigma about you know it being in the, a graphic way to tell a story versus a prose way to tell a story. I don't think that'll be that problem. But if you were to bring you know you bring Watchmen to your dad and say, Dad, check this out. Is your dad going to read it? Oh hell no! Yeah, you see what I mean. So that, I think that is definitely generational, and I think that that our kids, because they've grown up with it, aren't going to have a problem with it. I mean, shoot, some folks even even my my dad not big on you know he'll watch The Simpsons if it's on, and if I'm hey let's turn on The Simpsons, but not big on animation as a whole. I don't think he sees it as a serious art form as a film even. Whereas our kids definitely grew up with cartoons. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, cartoons that were beyond Saturday morning cartoons. Absolutely. You know, uh, while we're on the subject, why don't we talk? Uh, do a, do a few, maybe ten questions or so about comic books. So, how many comics do you own? Ballpark. Not nearly as many as you. I'm looking, and I've got one shelf full. You know, like a three foot shelf full, and then maybe another half a shelf below that of of graphic novels. Really, not that many. Comics, like most everything else, I, I really like a tiny bit of of what's out there, and don't care about everything else. Mm-hmm. So let me see. I probably have. I've got a dozen boxes in the closet. Of uh, yeah, half of them are bagged and boarded, and half of them are just comics. And then uh, the probably I don't know, two hundred graphic novels, something like that. Most of them are series. So you know, when I when I'm I'm very much a collector. So like something I like, like Hellboy or Hellblazer or Sandman comes out, and I tend to collect the whole series. So. A lot of those things I have uh, in graphic novel form, and I've got all of that. I, I guess that's where I'm at. So, uh, monthlies or collections? Uh, I I much rather buy the graphic novel, buy the collection, because the thing about monthlies, I've had my heart broken so many times. Like, even trying to read Frank Miller's Batman the Boy Wonder. It starts out kind of cool, then it gets a little, mm, maybe it's going to give it, maybe it's not. And then you go months at a time with just nothing. Nothing. I remember reading an Alien vs. Predator, reading it monthly, and then they just stopped. Like, uh, the penultimate episode was the final one. They never figured out a way to conclude it. So I want to get a whole big chunk of the story, preferably all at once, where I'll know whether or not it sucks now, instead of investing the time and energy to try to get into something and find out that it sucks, or they're not going to finish it, or they're only going to put it out once every eight months instead. Well, but what, that puts me way behind. Like right. I'm still trying to catch up on the, the Powers series. I'm only like eight thousand episodes back. <laughs> oh, on that. I love that series. That series. Oh, is it's so great. great. But it, it's good in a way because like I read Rising Stars, all all of them, like over the course of a weekend. I've I read it was three graphic novels, collecting the whole thing, mm-hmm. got it all. It's freaking great. God, great series. And I didn't have to wait five years to read the whole thing. Yeah, well, I did the same thing with. I know you're a big fan of Rob Schraub's Scud. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I just picked up that big fat tome and read through it all in a couple of sittings. And it was <laughs> Classic a- example of what I'm saying. Rob oh, yeah. Schraub does this thing right up until the penultimate, or right up to the penultimate issue, and then he doesn't do the final issue for 10 freaking years. Come on. That's painful. If you're really into something, well, like I was he, really into that book. At least he finally closed the deal, though. I remember this book. Oh, yeah, book. he did. Thank God. I, I remember this book him. from. Uh, from uh, I think it was Kitchen Sink that back in the day it was called Eye of Mongombo and it was about this lantern jawed hero 
kind of like an Indiana Jones guy who he, he's on one of these big archaeological expeditions and he finds this jewel and he gets turned into a duck. <laughs> All right. And, and, and it's a very funny comic with like a bunch of wise ass cracks and stuff that remind me of things like The Tick or The Trouble with Girls. And it was yeah. just hilarious. And it went like two or three issues and then poof, you never saw it again. And I, I came across it at a trade show. I came across uh, Kitchen Sink. I'm like, so what's up with I am Mongombo? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, no more. That's it. So, you know, at least Scud got finished. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, so name three character, three uh, comic book characters you really dig. Yeah, you see people back in podcast land. Steve writes these questions. I don't see him ahead of time. So he's probably got all these brilliant answers. And I'm, I'm left, you know, staggering around with my junk in my hand trying to sound intelligent. But anyway, three comic book characters of the what now? That you really dig. Oh, well, there's Electra Assassin, okay. who my, I already mentioned. Just, I, I, like, I like those characters that aren't all good or all bad. They're like bad, but they're, they're good enough that they're not the enemy. And she was just an absolute badass in the story. I don't know. I liked Electra Assassin, a suffering hero. I, I, gotta, I gotta admit, as cliche as it is, I love the Batman. I love the tortured soul, ass kicker, no actual superpowers, Batman. Like the, the, the Dark Knight. I, I dig that guy. And, jeez, number three, I don't know. I, I guess I'd have to say I love Scud. Man, the wisecracking you know, time bomb that he is. He's a, he's a robot that's supposed to self-destruct upon termination of his target, and he, he realizes it before he finishes killing his target, so he's trying to keep this thing alive and going through, and he's just a wisecracking. I love the way he's drawn. I don't know. Those, those would be the three off the top of my head. Go ahead, lay, lay it on me. What yeah, do you got? I, I kind of I, I agree with you that wisecracking is a, a big appeal for me as well. Spider Man, I've always loved that about him. That he'll he'll kick a bunch of ass, but that you know he he always had like the wise ass quips and kind of you know he would never let a villain know that the villain had had him on the ropes. Yeah, because he would just talk shit the whole time. That's so right. Spider Man, I've always loved Spider Man. Uh, let's see. Who else? Can Dude, I, look at your notes. I, lost it. I didn't write anything down. Oh. You know, you see, you, you, that's the thing. You spin it like, oh, I spend all this time on it. I write down the, the thing, but, you know, I, I let it sit. Uh, Grimjack is another character I, I really liked. That was a nice long series, kind of on the sci-fi tip about this kind of badass romantic character that, that had a shitload of adventures and... Uh, I'm not sure if they started reprinting those yet as graphic novels, but they, they definitely should. That's some great stuff. Uh, who else? Well, for wisecracking, what about Deadpool? You know, Deadpool, I don't know. I, I A lot of the, is he an X-Men? I guess he was in the movie. I didn't even bother seeing the movie. I, I don't know if he's an X-Men or an Avenger. I don't know what the hell he is, but no. Uh, no. He, no, he's, he's not an X-Man. He's, what, what is his, his if you he's know. He's like a. If you know his Deadpool's superhero affiliation, please call us at no, 206-203-3115. I don't. Oh, yeah. Boy, we're going to get the flood of geek calls on that one. Yeah, let's let's hope so. It's been a while since we've had any feedback, so uh, it'd be good to hear from some people. 206-203-3115. If you're uh, a disgruntled postal employee in New Jersey <laughs> and you've got a thing about the way we discuss comics, feel free to fuck, I mean to call oh, us. Oh, Hellboy. That'd be my third. Hellboy's oh, yeah, badass. 
I love the fact how how Mignola 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 how Mignola draws monsters. The, his you know we we've kind of talked about uh, like his strong black lines in comic drawing. He uses shadow better than anyone since maybe Kirby. Just his, his style is so distinctive, and I, I love what he does. So yeah, Hellboy is the shit. Uh, who's your favorite comic creator, either comic strip or comic book creator? Man, well, cliche once again, favorite comic strip creator, that'd be Mr. Uh, the Calvin and Hobbes guy. Watterson. Well, yeah. I mean, I love that cartoon. Yeah. And and very close second would also be the defunct um, far side Gary Larson. Cool, cool. See, uh, my favorite comics creator, I think, probably would be Frank Miller. He does. Yeah, yeah, I can't say that because he's done so many things I loved, and then he'll occasionally just spit out utter dog shit, like the <laughs> Dark Knight Two. What the hell was that? But his his hits are far greater than his misses. When you're prolific, you know, I don't know. I like his stuff. Yeah, well, you know, Sin City, all that stuff was just amazing. Th- name three comic characters you hate. Oh, uh, see, there's so many comic characters I hate that I just don't even give enough energy to noticing them to properly hate them. I can't even I can't even go there. I mean, there there's a there's popular comic characters that I don't like even though I know I am supposed to. Like I've never understood what the appeal is with Bone. <laughs> you see, and I love Bone. I think Bone is utterly charming. Yeah, Bone takes up space. People like it. It makes them happy. Hooray for him. Huh? Yeah. I, I've read it. I've read a bunch of it, trying to like it, and eh, I, I don't know. <laughs> that was pretty funny. We walked by Jeff Smith at uh, his table at Comic Con, and I kind of nudged you and said, "Hey, why don't you go over there and tell Jeff Smith why you think Bone sucks?" <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bone good. beat my goldfish to death with a shovel as a kid. Okay, comic comic characters I hate. There are a shitload of really crappy X Men. Like Gambit, who fucking throws playing cards around? What the fuck? Jubilee, who makes sparklers and fireworks and shit? Again, sucks. Who else? Kathy? I fucking hate Kathy. Oh, oh yeah. If you want to talk hate, then that would be the ones that I, I see in the comics pages. Yeah. Kathy. There was that really terribly drawn one forever. Sylvia. It, it looked like it was just scribbled. Um, you know, Family Circus, although the guy that does Family Circus is very cool and I've got to give him props, but um, yeah, there's a lot to hate. I, I hate Snoopy. I hate Peanuts. What? How can you hate Peanuts? Because it won't go away. Because it's done, the guy that did but it, it is was dead. Good. His final wish was that it not be continued, and the the family just keeps you know, raping that corpse for all it's worth. Okay, all but you can't have a problem with like the reissues of the 60s and 70s stuff. Yeah, I have Norton a problem with Publishing. It's, it's pure Norton. visceral hatred. It doesn't need to make sense. It's hate. Oh, you're full of shit on that one. I, I can't agree with you. I grew up reading some of those strips. So. I did too. Yeah. Feel betrayed. Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay, uh, let me see. Uh, comic, name a couple of cool comics that you dig that nobody, no one knows about. That's pretty much everything I dig. I don't know. Um Cyanide and happiness. I'm not cyanide. Um, arsenic lullaby. See, wrong poisonous chemical. Arsenic lullaby cracks me up. I got one of their books at Comic Con, but he got he had a few books that just slayed me. Um, Rob Schraub's Scud was a nobody knew about that for a long time when I was into that. God, if it's big and popular, 
I probably don't have it on my shelf. If it's weird and obscure, I probably have just have it and like it. <laughs> Let me see. For me, uh, I mentioned again The Trouble with Girls, which was an absolutely hilarious series from the 80s. A black and white series about this, this super spy who, big manly stud, uh, all the skill in the world, and all he wanted to do was curl up with a good book and have cookies. And women just keep throwing themselves at him and trying to have sex with him, and he just can't get away from it. And he's got this sidekick, Apache Dick, who was hilarious. Uh, just the, the series was so much fun. And that, that's a series I definitely like to see uh, come back and reprint. Again, Grimjack, great fucking series. Both Mage and Grendel from Matt Wagner. Eh, that's a start anyway. So there, there's a, a couple of good ones that are worth your time to dig up uh, if you think. Okay, uh, favorite comic book film? I thought they did Sin City really, really well. Yeah, I like that a lot. Sin City's good. I think, yeah. I, I think that I, I really love Iron Man more than I should. That, that, no, that, they did that great. That they was just like the perfect that. example of a fun comic book movie. That that was a blast to watch. It was eye candy. It had humor in it. It had great action in it. It didn't look cheeseball as fuck like most Marvel movies did for many, many years. Uh, I, I'm just in love with that movie. I, I like it a lot. Hottest yeah, they, they had all... The thing about comic movies is... God, lots of times they just ass it up. They got all this great material, and then they just they just hork it, like with Electra Assassin. Oh, I'm still I'm still bitter about that. But Iron Man, yeah, they did that one. They did it right. Absolutely. Okay, uh, yeah, kind of to tie in with all the booth babes that you like to get your picture taken with. Hottest oh, yeah. female character in comics? I, uh, dude, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. I <laughs> I don't look at comics like that. Of course you don't. I've got. I still to this day have the biggest crush on Wonder Woman because of Linda Carter. Oh well, see, I have a crush on Linda Carter because of Linda Carter. <laughs> yeah, fucking hot. So yeah, cheers to Wonder Woman. And uh, if you ever want to be on our show, we'd love to have you on because yeah, I know she listens anytime. So that's a couple of questions about comics. Now uh, let's jump kind of back into the film stuff. So uh, while we were at Comic Con. We got to check out uh, a new Spike and Mike's uh, Festival of Animation. Yeah, we saw some great, sick, twisted, funny cartoons. We saw some old, sick, twisted, funny cartoons. We saw a couple of cartoons that just kind of sucked. But overall, it was it was pretty good. I always loved the Spike and Mike. Ever since I first discovered them in uh, back in college, once again. You know, stuff like Lupo the Butcher and Dirty Lupo Bird. Lupo the Butcher. Yeah, the Dirty Bird. Oh, you could go on forever. I love little animated cartoons. And we also saw, I also like, uh, you know, short movies. And we saw a total new discovery for me, uh, the five-second, uh, what are they called? Five-second movies? Five-second five films. Five-second films. Great stuff. Just funny. Every, you know, five seconds long. It just, it's it's a setup, a punchline, it's done. And then, boom, they hit you with the next movie. Just like a, like a boxer working on a speed bag that is your brain. Yeah, they had a, a film called uh, Gorlack and Friends that played during the animated animation festival portion of the uh, con. And uh, I had never heard of them before. We stopped in, and it was like uh, maybe six, seven minutes long, just a short little uh, piece that was made yeah, up in which of, we watched like 68 films. Right, yeah, which was a ton of five-second movies, and they, they were just hilarious. And so I immediately grabbed them and uh, got them for a quick interview. So uh, let's take a listen to that. 
Okay, this is Steve from the Bumbat Show at Comic-Con 2009, and I'm here with the uh, crew of 5 Second Films. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Hi, Brian Forenzi here. I was uh, a co-creator of the website and the idea for 5secondfilms.com. Hey, I'm Olivia Taylor Dudley, one of the actresses of the two. I'm the blonde one. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kelsey Gunn. I'm one of the actresses as well here at Comic-Con. Very cool. So I was unfamiliar with you guys until uh, today at the Animation Festival. Uh, uh-huh. Gord suggested we stop in and check out your film, Gorlack and Friends, and it was fantastic. We had a great time. It was hilarious. So the, the sense of humor that's right up our alley. Yeah. Uh, so uh, how would you guys get started? Um, well, this started like in spring of 2005. I was a freshman at the dorms of USC, and uh, I was going to film school there with a friend of mine. And just as an experiment, we decided to see if we could tell funny jokes in five seconds and just make a movie out of it. And each one, the test had to be each one had to be exactly five seconds long. So it was a big editing uh, test for us, but we, we made it out alive, and people really liked it. They responded well. So we started putting some together at festivals like at USC, and we did well there. So we started thinking about putting them in a website. That didn't happen until Halloween of 2008, though. That was when we finally launched a proper website. Very cool. One of the things I like about the five-second format, the way you guys do it, is that the punchlines have to hit really hard and quick. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and the thing is, is that we're not always positive because everything is so quick and dirty and fast. We're not always positive that people are going to laugh at one joke. So nowadays we're trying to incorporate as many jokes as possible, pop culture references, visual gags, side gags, anything, just to try and make somebody laugh because we know how the nature of how fast this material is. So something has to stick. So it's, it's very free-for-all. There's a long and honorable tradition of that, you know, going back to something like Airplane where... Yeah. They're not yeah. all going to work, but if you keep them coming fast and furious, yeah. then you're going to get uh, plenty yeah. of bang for your buck. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. The, the motto of our website is wasting your time, but not very much. And we think that sort of that sort of exemplifies what we're going for, which is just humor that's incredibly fast and cheap. And you might laugh, you might not, but it wasn't the biggest waste of your time in the end. Very cool. Okay, uh, no bone bat interview would be complete without the question we always ask everybody. What pisses you off? Oh, my God. Uh, music they play for commercials, because I, I, I'm an editor by day, and I have the TV on, and I just listen to music and commercials. It is designed to be the cheesiest, most uplifting stuff, and it makes me want to just stab myself in the eye with a soldering iron and jump out the window of my building. <laughs> How about you, Kelsey? Oh, I don't know if I can top that. I would say things that piss me off, definitely, like, wet socks and soggy fries. Yeah, yeah, soggy french fries, no fucking bueno. (laughs) And you, Olivia? Uh, small children. (laughs) Aw, damn, I'm a dad. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Except for my kids, of course. She hates your child, Steve. I just wanted to let you know that. (laughs) Olivia hates your child with a fiery passion. That's how it's going to go, huh? (laughs) All right, well, thanks a lot. Where can we find your stuff? Uh, 5secondfilms.com. It's the number 5secondfilms.com. And we have a new film every weekday, Monday through Friday, for your perusal. Very cool, guys. Well, thank you very much for spending a few minutes with us. Thanks so much, Steve. Have a good one. You betcha. All right. So that was 5 Second Films that you can find at 5secondfilms.com. Like he said, their uh, motto is wasting your time, but not very much. So uh, check them out. There's some very funny stuff on that site. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, just kind of wrapping up, what three words would you use to describe Comic-Con? Crowded, crowded, and crowded. (laughs) Crowded was definitely part of it, but fun and... Very. I, I think that we, during our time there, we did a little bit of everything. And that was what was really cool about it. I mean, we, we were able to uh, see films, uh, panels, meet comic creators, buy cool shit, go to a concert. We didn't even talk about that yet. 
Oh yeah, that was great. We went to AfterCon on Saturday night and caught uh, uh, MC Frontalot, uh, a guy named Whitey Cracker, and MC Lars, who I hadn't heard of before, but I thoroughly Absolutely. enjoyed. Oh yeah, geek rap, nerdcore. God, these were my people. Once again, I was trying to explain this to my wife, and her eyes just glazed over, and she gave me that that look again. But God, where else? Never have I been at a show. Where the people they're rocking, and the people on stage are doing cool music about literature, the metric system, robots, video games, Moby Dick, Moby. Well, that was literature, dude. Surge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh my god, I found my people, and oh, it was it was awesome. Yeah, it was it, it was intelligent. It was rocking. It was just a fantastic it, time, and then and it was in, geeky and funny. Yeah, and in between bands. We got to see cartoons from Cyanide and Happiness, and we got to see short films from Saturday Morning Breakfast Cereal. Yeah. Which were fucking hilarious. So, I I mean, you you couldn't have a better evening overall. That was so much fun. I I was glad we were able to fit that in, because it definitely, you know, had another varied thing to do during the con. All right, so uh, I guess, uh, do you have anything else more to say uh, to put a bow on uh, this portion of the Comic-Con discussion? No, can we get to our filthy jokes now? Let's do some filthy jokes. Okay. Should I do the Michael Jackson joke, or, or should, I do, uh, should I do the mouse joke? Uh, you know, so you don't have a comic-themed joke? No, I don't. They're, they're filthy jokes. Uh, do what you want to do. Go. Go. All right, I'm, I'm doing Michael Jackson, so to speak. Oh. How is Michael Jackson like caviar? How? Is Michael Jackson like caviar? They both come on little white crackers. Oh, shit. That's fucking brutal. Thank you. What's black and white and hungry? What? Heath Ledger's cat. <laughs> That's not Comic-Con. That's really, It's comic-related. Oh, because the joke... Yeah, it's a stretch. All right. It's less of a stretch than my Michael Jackson one, though. Yeah, but it was funnier. It was funnier. <laughs> it's fucked up, granted, but it's funny. All right, so our normal bullshit. Uh, you can find new bone hand material when I get around to it, I guess. I've been kind of fucking lax lately on the Sundays, dude. I don't know. I need a kick in the ass. but uh, Yeah, you do. A couple of podcasts in a row, hopefully, will uh, make up for that. So uh, new uh, content on bonehand.com every Sunday. And, of course, every Thursday, mightywombat.com. See one of my new cartoons. Also look for my monthly column on davislifemagazine.com. I just got an email telling me to check out the August edition, make sure there aren't any glaring mistakes. So probably by the time you guys hear this podcast, it will be up. Sweet. Okay, and uh, as usual, you can reach us at 206-203-3115. Please reach us. We haven't had very much... uh, feedback from the folks lately we'd like we need to, to be reached yeah we're you know Around. we're we're barking in the void here so uh give us something to talk about shoot us a line uh also you can follow me on twitter as bonehand i'm around there as well contest time we had a contest from episode 28 left over uh whoever leaves us reviews on itunes uh podcast alley or zune uh, we were going to draw out of a hat, and uh, somebody was going to win a copy of MU330's press CD. And the winner is Shannon from the Seattle Geekly podcast. So, All Shannon, right. thanks, Shannon. If you can, uh, you can shoot me your real address. Uh, I will send out the CD to Sweet. I hope you enjoy it. Or uh, just shoot him. Or or that too. Uh, thanks again 
to Dusk's Embrace for the badass music. We do appreciate it. Paradigm Shift is the CD. You can buy it at iTunes or uh, through CDBaby.com. I think that's about it. So uh, once again, this is Steve. And this is Gord. Take it easy, folks.